You're listening to Flirting with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mondana Yousefi, and this is my boo, Ian Reese. My husband, Ian, is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am quite the newbie. Each week, he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin or Bitcoin adoption. I promise we keep it real light and fun. But before we get started, make sure you go to goals.flirtingwithbitcoin.com and stack your sats for the week. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, babe. How's it going? You tell me. I am so congested. (laughs) Can you tell? (laughs) Allergy season is here and I am on the struggle bus. So apologies to our listeners if I sound like I'm sick. I guess I am allergy sick. I'm going to push through because that's just how devoted I am to learning about Bitcoin. You're (laughs) welcome, babe. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just such a good wife and partner in this Bitcoin journey with you. So you're welcome. Before we get into it, what's the block height? The block height at the moment is 754719. And you can get, ooh, today's a big steal. You can get 5,152 acres on Bitcoin Island for a dollar. It is a steal, but that means the price is down, doesn't it? Only if you want dollars. Tell me what's new in the crypto world, in the Bitcoin world. I know that Ethereum merged because that's even seeped into my social media. So how's it going? Because I actually haven't seen negative stuff on, you know, like the few things that I follow. I mean, you're not on Bitcoin Twitter. I'm not on Bitcoin Twitter. And like, I know Bitcoin Twitter is probably explaining all the ways that it's going bad, but I, I'm not on there. So you tell me what's going on. So the, the merge, you know, it went through. The first thing that happened was that the transaction pool started filling up. And that means that there are a lot of transactions in the queue? Uh, yeah, basically. So in crypto world, Ethereum, Bitcoin, when you are trying to execute a transaction, you broadcast it to the network. Mm-hmm. And that goes into what's called the queue or the pool of pending transactions. And so in Bitcoin, um, there's a Twitter account that... Anytime the Bitcoin pool actually gets cleared, meaning there's like no pending transactions, it tweets. And that goes off, I would say, maybe like once every week, once every two weeks. But Ethereum, I think the last time I checked was at like 250,000, maybe 300,000 like transactions in the queue and climbing. For the transactions that were being processed, it appears that only seven different validators were validating any transactions. So seven, seven. And isn't like the big change in this merge is that they don't have miners anymore. They have validators. Are you impressed that I knew that? I mean, I've said it, so I'm glad you remembered. Whatever. You're impressed, man. Get out of here. I mean, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. (laughs) Now, if I had never said that and you said that, I I would be. I retained it. I would be be dramatically impressed. Um, I retained it. The reason why you haven't seen anything negative in the media that you consume is that the merge is like the friendly way of saying what they're doing. If you actually talk about it from a technical standpoint, it's actually another hard fork. And hard forks are really bad. (laughs) Wait, and did you see that thing that I sent you? You know, I get these daily emails that summarize, you know, what's happening around the world or whatever. And in that, it's not tech-based, it's not crypto-based, none of that. But they had a whole section on the Ethereum merge. And they put this positive spin on it. 
Yeah, I mean, if they're not technical people, they probably should not be talking about what's going on with Ethereum. They were painting it as like, this is a more energy efficient solution to crypto. Yeah, but see, this is this is the point that I'm getting at, is if they're not technical, they don't know what they're talking about. Someone gave them that information mm-hmm. to repeat. Mm-hmm. And Someone from Ethereum. Probably, <laughs> right? But like, they were just repeating information that was given to them, and that's how it got into your network, right? But if you actually go read and, and study what the Ethereum merge is and the changes that are happening, you would realize that it's technically not a good thing. And one of the big things to come out of this is that the current chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler, he used to teach, he taught a class at MIT before he was chairman, where he kind of laid out like, Bitcoin is probably safe because it looks the most like a commodity. And Ethereum, while they may have not set everything up in the best way possible, the fact that they still have this proof of work concept with all of these distributed miners and anyone can bring their hardware to the network and become a miner, that says that like, well, over time, maybe they will become more and more like Bitcoin, like Bitcoin. <laughs> but what this the merge scare quotes has actually done is taken them in the other direction. So now you can't just bring your hardware to the network because you have to bring your hardware plus 32 like, Ethereum. Right. A certain number of Ethereum, which like completely creates a huge barrier to entry yes and then the result of that is there's seven validators with a huge backup in the pool yeah so with proof of work it's randomized who actually mines the block if we're using bitcoin terms and the winner who mines the block is who gets the reward but with proof of stake which is what ethereum has moved to the transactions to be mined are divvied up based on how much Ethereum an existing validator has. So the more Ethereum a validator has, the more transactions they're gonna get to validate. The more transactions you validate, the more transaction fees you get. So basically it's just- The rich getting richer. Well, it's a, it's a you know, like you're, again, you're not on Twitter, right? But you know, like there's these, these, these crypto scams, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the easiest, like the laziest crypto scam <laughs> that there is, is someone will tweet something that's like, if you send me, 10 Ethereum, I'll send you 20 Ethereum, right? Like that's like a pretty Nigerian prince scam, right? Mm. No offense to our Nigerian listeners. No offense to our Nigerian (laughs) listeners, especially our Nigerian prince listeners. I, You know, sorry, your highness. But the point there being is that what Ethereum has migrated to is closer to that scam, which is give me your Ethereum, I'll hold it. And I will then give you a little bit back because you're pooled in with me as a validator. So Ethereum has really uh, shot itself in the foot because the one thing that it had going for it to kind of keep the regulators off its back, it's just completely removed. So what's Gary Gensler saying? Well, I, w- I want to say they already had it queued up. They were just waiting for the merge <laughs> to go through. <laughs> They've had it queued up for months. Yeah, but basically... As soon as the merge went through, the SEC came out and said, well, now we're going to actually look into what's going on here because this really looks like a security now with yield, uh-huh. right? Because they're paying interest on on someone holding your money. It's not looking good, but, you know, there's a lot of money behind Ethereum. There's a lot of politics at play. What's happening in the price of Ethereum? Has it gone down? Yeah. So Ethereum has, I saw a quote on Twitter recently that said Ethereum's down like 20% over the last seven days. Side note. I finally got my Ethereum out of Coinbase. Thank um, goodness. But for example there, like I was I was down 60%. Jeez. Right? But I'm out. I never have to deal with them again. 
And even in getting out, I still had to pay Coinbase one last fee just to get out of their game. I'm never You're going, out, babe. I'm You're out, out. Babe. Freedom. And if only I was in this with you sooner, I maybe would have stopped you from ever buying Ethereum. I highly doubt it. I don't know. You think you would have convinced me that Ethereum was a good buy? If I was as into this stuff as I am right now, like four years ago. So to be clear, the Ethereum that was on Coinbase, I bought a long time ago. Okay. And before we met? Not before we met. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like shortly after we met and Okay. Um, before our finances were combined. Very much so. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and so I've had this Ethereum for a long time and when they were talking about moving to Ethereum two and all of this stuff, before it was even really before the merge happened, you could stake your ethereum on coinbase which is what you did which is what i did yeah, like a fool <laughs> so the, the ethereum that i had wasn't earning me any yield yeah and when i cashed out on coinbase i had earned like you know 10 20 bucks in interest or whatever air quotes for that but you had still lost 60 percent. exactly so yeah. like what what's 20 bucks on 60 percent? Right, well buy ethereum bye bitch <laughs> out of our life um and coinbase bye yeah never never have to log into that site again so the point there being like ethereum was kind of on thin ice the merge has gone through there seems to be some technical challenges that they will probably overcome but a lot of the things that the bitcoiners were like screaming when they were saying what they were going to do like almost every single one of those things is happening and people are looking at the Bitcoiner saying things like, why do you care? Why don't you just let us do our own thing? And it's like, well, for Ian, uh, I just lost 60% mm -hmm. because of what you guys have chose to do with Ethereum, mm -hmm. right? And when I realized that I didn't want to be a part of that, I couldn't even get out until you did what I didn't want to be a part of anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was by design, right? So like, the Bitcoiners have been calling this out for a while. Now that the merge has gone through, we can watch it all play out. We'll see who like changes their story and realizes that they were wrong. Most people don't. They just move on like they didn't say what they said. But again, this like lends to when crypto fails, it's bad for Bitcoin in terms of how the public sees it, maybe the government sees it. The government matters in relationship to crypto. The government doesn't matter in relationship to Bitcoin. Is pretty much just a captured entity now. Like they have been, they're going to be captured by the government. But Bitcoin and the way that it's designed to operate, even if the United States banned Bitcoin tomorrow, that doesn't kill Bitcoin. Yeah. You can't pick up a phone and tell AWS to turn off all the Bitcoin miners. <laughs> but you can pick up a phone and tell AWS to turn off the majority of the Ethereum miners. So they're not equal. They're not equal from the stance of who has control, but they're also not equal from the stance of fundamentally how they operate. The the story that's being pushed out is this is good for the environment. You know, all of this digital assets and mining and all this fun stuff, it's bad. It's using too much electricity. Like that's been the story that's been justifying what Ethereum has been doing. And to like top it off, Greenpeace is now piling on, right? So Greenpeace, save the planet, folks. Is supporting Ethereum? Is supporting Ethereum. Dang. And so like... Makes me question Greenpeace. But it also makes you question who's funding Greenpeace? Last time I checked, that was a nonprofit. And last time I checked, nonprofits operate off donations. And last time I checked, donations and donators usually 
drive some decision making of a nonprofit. You don't say. So Greenpeace piling on, it seems like it should be in their wheelhouse. And they've kind of established themselves as like, if you care about the environment, you should listen to what Greenpeace has to say. So there are a ton of environmentalists over the last six months that have been like talking about how Bitcoin is going to boil the oceans. Actually, Bitcoin miners are taking carbon out of the atmosphere and taking methane out of the atmosphere by going to these oil wells. They're just flaring this gas and burning it off and instead converting it into Bitcoin. They're actually using that energy, not just wasting it. Mm -hmm. So like if you care about the environment, Greenpeace, like you should care that there's this thing called Bitcoin that's actually cleaning up the environment. (laughs) Captain Planet style. Yeah. And building that incentive, the constant incentive to have more efficient energy. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. Like Bitcoin is just a massive incentive machine. And we don't even really know all the things that it's going to incentivize. But right now it's incentivized a bunch of smart people to go in the middle of nowhere and put generators on flare gas. (laughs) (laughs) Like no one was doing that before Bitcoin. They were just like, yeah, whatever, flare it or dump it. So Greenpeace, like they're on the Ethereum camp. I think Bitcoin is really going to help identify like who's actually for fixing things and who's just like pretending to want to fix things. Or who's taking the shortcut when someone comes and gives them information. How much are they actually vetting that information? Are they just looking for a better alternative to like big bag Bitcoin? You know, that's kind of the sense that I get when it comes to these other cryptos. It's like they don't want to give Bitcoin a chance. They've embrace the negative talking points around Bitcoin and they're like, oh, okay, this one's better. Yeah. And, and the reason why from like a purely first principles approach is that a lot of those things are being funded by venture capital or private equity or, you know, people with money. Right. And Bitcoin is actually funding itself. Like people are figuring out how to make money without going and, and doing all of that, like, for example, Greenpeace with donations, right? When you go to like, well, where did this money come from? A large percentage of this money that's like FUD against Bitcoin is borrowed. Mm. It's borrowed from a bank. At the end of the day, it was borrowed from a bank. And we all know a bank just pushes a button and creates money out of thin air. So there will always be money available to FUD Bitcoin. Yeah. Bitcoiners can't go push a button to create more Bitcoin, <laughs> then go sell the Bitcoin to buy anti-FUD. And they're cap- just not spending their Bitcoin willy-nilly. Exactly. Trying to battle these Bamas. Exactly. And so the White House, in the same week as the merge, which I find very convenient, puts out their like guidance on like how digital assets should work and like how they're going to create a central bank digital currency and all this stuff. And it's like, I know I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but always. <laughs> but like it to me, it just appears like they're in on it. Ah. Like it just appears like Greenpeace, the White House, all of it. It's just all one big. Like they want to push Ethereum as the solution because that's something they can control. Exactly. And it's the second most popular crypto exactly. in the world or just in America. Um, I mean, it's probably number two. If you take out the stable coins, it's probably number two or number three. Who's messing with stable coins people, still? People are still messing with people stable coins. People are so stupid. After all this. The world is majority stupid people. That's true. That's true. Except for Bitcoiners and our listeners. I mean, if you're a Bitcoiner, you're probably less stupid. Less stupid, yeah, that's true, right? That's true. That's true. But not our listeners. We have the smartest listeners in the world. I've decided.
So the White House, they proposed a framework. Did they propose any laws or regulations in that? Or were they just, this is what we want our administration to be tackling next? It's the White House. So they can't create laws. They can create executive orders. So the original executive order directed these nine or 10 agencies to like do some research. Oh, so this is like the culmination of that research? Yes, this okay. is like this is like the result of that. This is their findings. This mm. is their like, here's what we think should happen. Now, here's the problem that I have with that. These are the same people that are okay with printing money. Yeah. <laughs> There's no one in the government at that level that's standing up saying, don't print more money. They have bought into that idea. They're okay with that idea. And they actually want to further that idea because if we control the money printer, then at least we can direct where that printed money goes to. You, you don't think they consulted with Bukele on this? I don't think they consulted with anybody <laughs> who they should have. And yeah. if what the Bitcoiners did was they pulled out all the things that they cited and they were like, none of these people are Bitcoiners. Right. Like you could have done a very simple Google search. There's plenty of people that have like been Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin for a long time. They would have told you everything you wanted to know. And instead you found Rando over here who said what you wanted to hear. Yeah. And that's what you cited. Yeah. So it's the government doing government stuff. I'm not surprised. I think the worst thing that's probably going to come out of this is there is now an appearance that the government thinks that it needs to control this. That immediately puts Bitcoin and Bitcoiners at odds with the government. Because if the government comes out and says this is something that needs to be regulated like drugs or regulated like guns. Well, we see how good they're doing at stopping people from having those things. <laughs> how long has the war on drugs been going? Yeah. Right? So like, are we going to have a war on Bitcoin for like a century? Yeah, which is such a shame because it should be a war on all the altcoins. It should be a war on counterfeit money mm -hmm. the problem is that the united states government is one of the biggest counterfeiters in the world damn but we don't call it counterfeiting he we went call there it... guys he went there <laughs> <laughs> but we don't call it counterfeiting we call it monetary policy yeah if we all agree that there was a hundred dollars in the pool and then tomorrow you just flip a button and say there's two hundred dollars in the pool that's counterfeit money bitcoiners think that should stop so when is the u.s government ever going to come in and support that I think they're going to have no choice. Yeah. I think if it becomes global currency, if they don't get into the game, they're done. It might be more drastic than that. You know, we're having this financial crisis going on in the world right now in various shapes and forms. Some people would say it's the war in Ukraine. Some people will say it's, you know, China's having a financial cr crash. There's all these different things that are going on, but they're all related to the same problem, which is all of this money that's sloshing around in the system, majority of it is debt. And the thing about debt is eventually you have to pay up either over time or your creditor says, I want all my money now. When that happens, someone is going to be left not getting all their money back. So in order to avoid that in history, in historical times, you would have held gold, but we can't get gold. Why? Because the federal government said we couldn't have gold. So now we have Bitcoin. And so when everyone says, no, I don't want dollars, I want Bitcoin, because that's how I know that I'm out of the system of debt, the government is probably going to have to establish a peg to Bitcoin. That's the only way they'll be able to acquire Bitcoin, because no one would ever trade their Bitcoin for dollars if it's just constantly losing value. I mean, what, we're at $20,000 right now, right? So the government will have to come in and establish a peg saying like, we will buy your Bitcoin for $50,000, $100,000, whatever. No one will give it to them, <laughs> right? And they're going to have to keep... Not real Bitcoiners. They're going to have to keep... They'll, I mean, they'll get to a number where people will give it to them. But when they do that, that immediately takes away their ability to create more. Because if you go create more, 
then you immediately break your peg. Yeah. It might be Joe Biden, but it probably won't. Very shortly, I feel like before the decade is over, the music is going to stop. I think so too. I think it's happening sooner than later. And I think that's the really interesting side of it. Where like, if you know what's going on, you're paying attention at the perspective that we are. People are looking at it and they're like, oh, Bitcoin's down right now. It's like, go just go buy some. Just go buy a little because you are going to regret this very soon. The key phrase there is that Bitcoin is down. People have to, and it's a very, it's very hard. I acknowledge that it's hard. They have to stop thinking about the dollar as being the most dominant currency in the world. It is really hard. And I think you have gotten to a place where you're there mentally, but I'm not there yet. Obviously. I mean, we pay our bills in dollars. We buy groceries in dollars. You know, everything we do is in dollars, but... You're just so forward thinking, babe. You've always been forward thinking. Even like in our relationship... I think about maybe a month or six months from now. You think 10, 15, 20 years for us. I think it's just the way your mind works. Or I think that's like the advantage that you bring to the Bitcoin mindset and understanding really long term how to hold because that's just how your mind works. You don't worry about the now as much because you know that the future is where really you should be strategizing. (laughs) Yeah, um, I would argue... But I'm like, what are we going to eat for dinner on Tuesday? <laughs> yeah, um, I would I would say that Bitcoin has definitely pushed my thinking out further. If I used to think one, two, three years out before, I think five, 10, 15 years out now. It lets you look at the volatility that you see on the day-to-day and say... Well, that's kind of baked in. Like, I already expected the volatility, but in 10 years, if Europe doesn't fix their energy problem, they're done. The euro's done. The eurozone's done. And what are they all going to do? All those countries in Europe are just going to start making their own currencies again? Are they going to switch to the dollar? (laughs) Well, they probably, like, that'll be a short-term solution, right? That's part of the problem is people will have a problem and they find the short-term solution because our political cycle is very short-term. And so you can only get so much done in four years or two years in America um, or anywhere, really, because America kind of drives, you know, most other political things around the world because our politicians come in and then, you know, do a coup somewhere. Yeah, and we say, oh, here's our constitution. Copy paste it for yourself. Exactly. You know, I think humanity has gotten to the point now where America and democracy and like new new leadership every two to four years, like we needed that. We needed that at that time because quick iterations on how to run a country. So no one could be a king. Well, so no one could be a king, but like you got to iterate on how do you run a country in a world that doesn't have a king. And so you get all these like the founding fathers, right? George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, they made a play about it. Alexander Hamilton. Right? And you and what, Man, I'm so congested. I'm not even going to try to fake sing <laughs> this week. Um, yeah, so like America was like, look, We think monarchy is bad. We don't think anyone should have like total control. But the system that we're proposing, like we need a way to iterate on this fast. We've done that for 250 years now. I think we have a good handle on how democracy works, its pluses and its minuses. We've done all the low hanging fruit. We've solved all of the like short term problems, but we have not created a system that is structurally capable of solving long term problems. And so Bitcoin comes in and says, I am 
the solution to your long-term problems. But if you don't want to solve long-term problems because it doesn't benefit you, then I, Bitcoin, I am your enemy. Yeah. Because I am the mirror being held up to you saying like, you have a solution, a long-term solution, but you got to give up some of your control. You got to give up some of your power. And no one wants to give up power. And that ironically is the whole punchline of King George in <laughs> Hamilton. He's like, well, what comes next? You just stop being in charge? That doesn't seem like a sane thing to do. What if the person behind you isn't as good as you? Valid point. Or they change everything. That or they, they want. change everything that you did, right? Long-term problems require consistent, strong leadership to solve. And that kind of brings us into one of the next stories, which I'm not sure how I feel about it, to be clear. But Bukele has announced that he's running for his second term in El Salvador. And the problem is that, according to their constitution, he can't do that. So you have basically the entire international media pounced right? Dictator Bukele, right? Okay. Even though other countries have like rulers for 10 years and no one calls them dictators. Oh, we call them dictators also, but like... Well, we have them for eight years and don't call them dictators in America. Well, you know, they were elected. Yeah, yeah. And it says they can do it. So their constitution says that you can't do it, right? And so one of my friends texted me and was obviously like insinuating like this guy's breaking the law. And... As I said, like, I don't know how I feel about this because, yes, he is technically breaking the law. But from what I can tell, he's not currently running because he's currently president. And if they change the rules before that day, has he broken any laws? If he is proposing an amendment to the Constitution and that amendment passes, I mean, I don't know anything about the El Salvadorian constitution, but no, that's not, that's him proposing a change to the laws of the country, which really lends to the structure of what democracy is supposed to be, whereas it adapts to the needs of that country. Yeah. So this is the thing. He didn't propose an amendment. He said, I'm running again. That's why I'm conflicted. Because I don't think he should have proposed the amendment because that's like weird. Someone else is supposed to. Congress is supposed to. Uh, Sure. But the point that I'm getting at is like, if he had come out and said, I'm proposing an amendment that will allow me to run for a second term, I would actually be more against that than him saying, I'm running, I'm going to run for president again. What's the difference? The difference is that now people in their legislative branch, they someone else can propose right, exactly. an amendment, right? It's up to Congress if they want to make that change in their constitution. Sure. Now, again, that's where I was coming from where I said, like, I don't think he's broken any rules yet. But if the day comes and he doesn't leave, yeah, you're a dictator. Yeah, absolutely. But like, <laughs> if they change the constitution, which I thought that was the idea behind constitutions... But apparently trying to change a constitution makes you a crazy person these days. If they change the constitution and he then runs and he then gets the majority of the votes, nothing in there to me says dictator. I agree. I actually am thinking about when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California and he's foreign born. He's an immigrant. And he was talking a lot about wanting to run for president. There was a real national discussion around should we change the constitution to allow an immigrant to run for president? It didn't pick up any steam. There weren't proposals from Congress on it, but this is that. It's just the country did not want Arnold Schwarzenegger enough to propose that amendment to the constitution. 
Also, the United States is a gigantic country, and while they might have liked him as governor of California, I don't even know how liked he was, the rest of the country didn't really have a stake in it. El Salvador is a smaller country. If people are happy with the vision that Bukele has for them, and they say, yes, we would prefer for our presidents to be able to have two terms, to impose lasting change, or whatever that argument is, and they pass that amendment, I mean, that does seem reasonable to me. It's definitely reasonable. I think that that's what is going to happen. The problems that we're dealing with are long-term problems. And so this guy, Bukele, he's already put his country on a path. Even if he doesn't get this constitutional amendment passed and he doesn't run for president again, if the person that comes in behind him rolls back all this Bitcoin stuff that he's been working on for the past now two, three years, it might seem like that's the right decision in the short term. But in the future... When Bitcoin does what we believe Bitcoin's going to do, the people of El Salvador are going to be very upset. Mad salty. And you won't be able to get back ahead. El Salvador is so far ahead right now. They are so far ahead. El Salvador, I've said it many times, they could be the Singapore of Central America. They could be the Hong Kong of Central America, right? Like they have that possibility it's within their grasp to totally transform everyone's lives in that country to allow some outside influence that says you should keep working at our system that has kept your country poor for the last 30 yeah. years. Like that's better than trying something different. Right. Like worst case scenario, we're poor in this system, <laughs> but at least we can decide our own fate. Yeah. It'll be exciting to see what happens. So, it's, you know, we are living in history every day, but... This is going to be pretty historical if it also results in a change in the country's constitution. Yeah, I mean, I think it will. But I also think that, like, I say this not lightly, but I do feel like based on this conversation, I should say it out loud and go on record. Like, the deeper I go into Bitcoin and a lot of the economic stuff that I've been reading because of Bitcoin, I'm really starting to question two to four year cycles of democracy. Oh, it's so messy. It's so exhausting. Well, there's more to that. And like with the queen in England having just passed away, I don't think that's good either. (laughs) But I do think that like there's something fundamentally wrong in democracy or at least exploitative in democracy that's currently being exploited by our money system because you can create money out of thin air and then pour it into politics. Apparently the Supreme Court says that's cool. I see Bitcoin as possibly bringing about some change in all democracies and maybe el salvador was going to be that first example of that but i don't see how you can have a world with bitcoin and a world with like citizens united yeah like it just they don't go together and there's just transparency and spending there's in that whole realm of politics and lobbying and right and so i i truly believe you know this is my I probably won't be alive to see it, but I truly believe that Bitcoin is going to take us back to the idea of like city states and like smaller organizations of people and the idea of having like hundreds of millions of people under some banner of like America or, you know, Mexico or whatever. Like, I don't think that that's going to work when the reason why those things exist was because they were basically like a shared operating system for a large group of people. Now that we have the internet and the ability for people to like reorient themselves and reorganize, it's like, where can I go and like start over? And to me, it appears like El Salvador is going to be that first place. Yeah, you have a lot of hope for that place. Something has to change. The course that we're on, we don't have a lot of time. And someone needs to show a different way very soon 
that works and gets people to want to change where they are also. And if we don't have that happen, we're going to end up with some weird version of what's going on in China. We look at China and go, oh, it's crazy. They all locked them down and social credit score and all that fun stuff. And it's like, no, we, we're really close to that over here. And it's we're only probably like a couple bad leaders away from having a social credit score in the quote unquote West. I hope my social credit score would be high. I feel like I'm a really friendly person. That's not... <laughs> That's not how it works. That's not how it Damn, works. Damn. Okay. Just for examples, yeah. having this podcast, Ooh. you would be in trouble. All right, it's time for shout outs. But before we begin, if you are not listening to us on Fountain and want to show us some love, check out flirtingwithbitcoin.com support to see all the ways that you can let us know you're enjoying the show. So shout outs to Macy J, TNT Mom, Hello There, OG Zeki 522, Bless Allah 786, Nick, Zordon, Kling89, Lo Hengren and Terla. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Did you know the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast runs on the value for value business model? So what does that mean? Instead of having to listen to us read the same batch of ads every episode, we're looking to you, our listeners and supporters, to support the show if and when we provide you with something of value. Value can be anything, some new piece of information, a new point of view, or even a good old fashioned belly laugh. When we provide value, we ask that you contribute to the show what you believe the value is worth to you. Hence the term value for value. To learn more about how to support the pod, visit flirtingwithbitcoin.com support. And don't forget to subscribe so we can always keep in touch. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next episode.